Brown says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me, as always, too, is my good mate, 60s. 60s champ, good to have you on board. A Polish, anyone listening, hearing some uh, ringing sounds? That is a jackhammer going off next door as the people do some tiling. But yeah, that's uh, the unfortunate reality of this week. Mate, I'll, I'll battle through it. I'm sure the <laughs> listeners will battle through it. <laughs> uh, we'll make, we might get a little uh, momentary respite between... Uh, Tiles being torn up, so let's get right into it. This is the preview episode uh, for the tip sheet, though we do do some reviews this week from the other non-NRL action on the weekend, so let's get right into it, mate. Um, starting with the Harold Matthews Grand Final. Unfortunately, the Parramatta Reels going down to the Manly Seagulls, 24-12, out at Leichhardt on Saturday. This was a, a good match. I think it was a quality match, but Manly just uh, came out fired up and really took the game away from the Eels in the first half. Yeah, we're going to get Joey Grimer's takes on this a little bit later in the podcast. Yeah, we're mixing things up this week. Joey yeah. on, on later rather than as the lead act. But, look, it's fair to say that uh, Manly were a bit too big, a bit too strong, a bit too fast. And it's an old rugby league cliche. But in this instance, that, was, that probably told the tale of the tape for the grand final. That said, it was an amazingly courageous effort from the Eels Harold Matts team. They fought through to the end. They at, at all the times through the game where it looked like Manly were going to be just way too powerful. Uh, the Eels would find a way just to dim the tide and to and to bounce back into the game. As I said, courageous effort. And I think they can be really proud of their season. Absolutely. And uh, try scorers in this game. For Manly, it was Roy Quiroz, Mapasua, Revelation CEO, Samuel Afainu, Calvin Levy, and their captain, Josh Felody. Uh, they had two people kicking conversions. But uh, of the five attempts, uh, Ollie Cummins and TJ Herring could only get one apiece. So that were two from five. For the Eels, Declan Murray and Blaze Talangi scored. Ethan Sanders was perfect on his two shots. And yeah, um, it's probably worth pointing out that while Manly had all the ascendancy uh, for the most part, they're... Their initial tries were scored on the back of either Parramatta Eels errors or, or penalties. They took that and the repeat possessions in order to crack the Eels. Um, so they'll probably be upset about that when they do the post-mortem of this game. Uh, but, yeah, plenty plenty of reasons to hold your heads up high after this. You know, Obviously, it is disappointing to lose the grand final, but Manly uh, were the best team in the season to Parramatta being the second best. So it was you know, obviously the, the two best teams in the tournament throughout the year, but Manly just had a little bit more juice on the day, and there's nothing wrong with that. So no, look, the, the 24 to 12 is probably a fair scoreline. As you said, the tries that Manly scored came on the back of repeat possessions, mm-hmm. uh, and that took the form of um, either an early error, line dropouts, penalties, uh, whatever the case may be. It was repeat possessions which turned into being the killer. That. Look, a couple of tough calls, you'd have to say, for the Eels at crucial times. There was at least one forward pass that led to a, a try when the Eels threatened to fight their way back into it. There was a couple of tough penalties when the Eels looked to be holding Manly down. In yeah, their and, own and the given field. how hot Manly were, it was the sort of game where you couldn't afford to lose the 50-50s. 
And, you know, that's just a reality of the game. It, it, you know, it is what it is. It's not. Oh, look, there's, I, I'm in no way suggesting that the how the game was officiated was uh, any determinant on the result because, as I said to you, uh, Manly too too big, too yep. strong, too fast. And, uh, and that, that, that pretty much summed up how, how they were. But, look, it's, it was a quality game of football, as you suggested, and I think the fact that the Eels scored that last try was a measure of how they were fighting right till the end of agreed. the game. Agreed. And it's almost fitting that it was Blaze to Lange to score it, given that Blaze will be the centrepiece player for the Harold Matthews in 2022, uh, with most of the squad, I believe, going on to SG Ball for next season. But yeah, Blaze, a year young this year, was an outstanding performer throughout the course of the season. And a lot of reasons for all those boys, whether they're graduating or staying on board, to be excited for their futures moving ahead. So uh, we'll have Joey touch on that more later in the podcast. And I'm sure they'll start featuring in the uh, NRL Schoolboys Cup later in the year. I know that uh, I think Patrick Spence is taking over from Jacob Arthur out at Patrician Brothers. I yeah, believe. And, and uh, look, I, I think Patrick Spence, sorry. Uh, uh, Ethan Sanders, sorry. Ethan Sanders, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Patrick. Patrick had a very good game. Uh, Patrick Spence at the um, at the custodian role, uh, very strong grand final performance as he was all through the season. We could go on and single out a whole lot of the players. Yeah, that... big big Soyasi Aho got um, heavily involved and tried to uh, kickstart some very tough sets for the Eels. I thought he he you know worked his butt off. Uh, you know the, the forwards all uh, rolled up their sleeves and and helped the Eels get back into the contest to some degree. It's just that Manly, just on the day, had a really great game, and sometimes that's how it is. You know, when they came into the game, I regarded Manly as a team of individuals who, if you could um, perform well as 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 a team, you could perhaps get over the top of them. But it's fair to say that they saved their best team performance. Definitely. Like Definitely. <laughs> Saved their best team performance for the grand final. hundred percent. It was you couldn't fault any of uh, Manly's play, um, and I'd also say that the the match was played in fairly in a fairly good spirit as well. Yeah, so, given that the, usually it's somewhere between uh, spicy and spiteful between the two clubs when they ever they meet, but this game was played in in very good spirits. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and we'll talk to Joey a little bit more about his main takes from the game and, and where to from here for the uh, the Harold Matz boys. And that officially concludes the club portion of the junior representative scene for 2021. There is still the uh, various age group state of origin games be played throughout the origin calendar, I believe. I think they still are paired up with the three origin games, but I could be mistaken. So we'll have to wait and see which eels make which grades for those teams. Yeah, it be interesting to look ahead to those and... Um, and I'm sure that we'll have plenty to say about it when those uh, teams are announced. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was not the only action on the weekend, of course. Um, from Leichhardt Oval, it was over to Stadium Australia. I got there, Stadium Australia, not ANZ Stadium, uh, where the Parramatta Eels took on the Canterbury Bulldogs in the curtain raiser to the NRL game. Uh, a very un-Jersey flag-like scoreline here, the Parramatta Eels prevailing 12-8. to eight. Uh, So for the Dogs, it was Eli Clark and Alatia Mosadreki scoring with no conversions. For the Eels, Jaden Yates and Tavita Masma scored uh, Schneider two from two off the kicking tee. Masma going back-to-back weeks with long-range interception tries, this one to seal the game. Mate, that must have been exciting for the uh, supporters out there to uh, get that intercept try with, what, about three, two or three minutes to go? Yeah, uh, 67 minute in a 70-minute game. So <laughs> talk about in the clutch. Uh, Massimo having something of a knack for reading the game in defense, it looks like. 
uh, the utility uh, spine player, I suppose, is probably the best way to describe him. He's played fullback in the halves and is also capable of playing in the centres. Um, so he's been uh, sliding around the team with him and Clayton Farlolo uh, trading places at various points in the season. Uh, and I just recall what uh, Ham was telling me. Uh, he said it was a, a very, even if the scoreline wasn't uh, indicative of a flag game, it was still a very flag game. Um, he said the young kids had another solid showing. Uh, and yeah, it just it, it was the Eels getting away for a good win, I suppose, at the end of our end of the day. You can't help but feel. I mean, we we have to expect that there's going to be a, a lot of changes in the uh, both the New South Wales Cup and the Jersey. Yeah, the, the trickle down effect from whenever the NRL has given because of how young they are, uh, they're going in both their squads for the flag and the cup. Whenever the NRL has a change, the trickle down effect invariably hits both the flag and the cup. So kudos to Dean Feeney and all his young men there for rolling with the punches and uh, looking forward to their potentially third straight win this week after knocking over the uh, Rabbitohs and then the Dogs now. So doing a good job there. Moving on to the other game on the weekend, which was in the New South Wales Cup. The Parramatta Eels travelling out to Hinchinbrook at Aubrey Keats Reserve to take on the Mounties, which are the Canterbury-affiliated reserve gate lineup. Uh, this one, unfortunately for Parramatta, did not go down as a win. Parramatta falling uh, to the oh god, Parramatta falling loser, sorry, thirty four to twenty six to the Mounties, uh, and this game was really on the opening ten minutes where Mounties raced out to an eighteen nil lead uh, with the Parramatta Hills. Unfortunately, forgetting that you're allowed to defend kicks, I'm not really sure what happened there, but it was a complete breakdown uh, across the course of three tries, including a long range one to Aaron Shoop, and yeah, really put the Parramatta Hills behind the eight ball. To their credit, they fought back uh, fiercely and made the game a genuine contest after that. But spotting the opposition team an 18-point lead after 10 minutes is almost never going to lead to a victory, mate. No, and you do see the rare occasion where a team will come back from being so far behind. But it was almost a case of um, playing catch-up football. I don't think the Parramatta necessarily played catch-up football, but you always felt that it wasn't going to take too much for the Bulldogs... Uh, to or well, Mounties as it was the uh, Bulldogs feeder, just to keep skipping that one step ahead, and um, it was it was going to take a an extremely disciplined effort from the Eels to catch up from that point. And whilst they did admirably well and got within eight points, as I said, you always felt as if it was just going to be a, a, a mountain too high to climb. Yeah, and. For the Parramatta Eels, we saw tries to uh, Eli Elzakam, Hayes Dunster, Jacob Arthur, Sean Russell, and Jordan Rankin. Rankin going three from five off the tee. And for the Dogs, it was Lachlan Lewis, uh, Declan Casey, Aaron Shoup, Ben Safali, and Ruben Rennie, with Wakem being perfect off the kicking tee for conversions, five from five, and adding two penalty goals. So a very busy day in terms of conversions for Wakem. Well, yeah. it was actually five tries apiece when, it was, when the final analysis yeah. was made. Yeah, so... The Eels deserve credit for clawing their way back into this game and not playing, you know, silly catch-up football. But, you know, I, I'm not disappointed with this result. We've been, you know, advocating that this is a, a fun team to watch, but you're going to get results like this. And the fact that they didn't roll over belly up and, you know, concede 50 uh, speaks towards the character of a young team because it's very easy to just get blown out in the first 10 minutes and say, all right, well, it's going to be like that for the rest of the game. And instead they roll up their sleeves and got back into the contest but fell short. So really, really not, you know, Obviously, it's disappointing to lose, but I'm not unhappy with what they did there. Um, and that included, you know, some off games from some key players. I think both Rankin and Arthur had a couple of 
uh, drops at un- untimely moments. Hayes Perrin was caught out of position a few times at fullback. So that's all the lumps that you get with a, a young team and, and a new recruit that are trying to gel on the run. But it was nice to see Hayes Dunst to show a bit of speed and go the length of the field. Ditto for Sean Russell. Uh, a couple of really nice long-range tries there. Will Penasini setting up Hayes in that instance. And it was uh, the other Hayes, Hayes Perham, linking up with uh, Sean or helping the ball get linked up to Sean Russell from uh, the middle to the left that set up that long-range try. So a lot of the young guys still featuring in the right way. Uh, and we also saw big Wiramu Greg getting for a mountain of work here, and he was sucking it in. But I think he went for, if I can just pull up the player stats, because they do do player stats here uh, for the Eels. I think he went for like 54 minutes. Uh, yeah, 54 minutes for Wiramu Greg, and he went... Uh, 15 runs for 168 metres. So the big man getting through a lot of work. And that also includes, if I can go find tackle breaks they credit him for. No, no tackle breaks. But he did get one offload and also posted uh, 26 tackles with just one missed. So the big man is uh, being fast-tracked in terms of the fitness and development at Parramatta. Um, and he's doing a good uh, a good job. Yeah, look, I think there's there's just moments where you can tell that it's a young side defensively. Yeah, that's the, and it's and it's not so much a technique issue as um, I, I think it's just reading a, a game that's faster for some of the younger players to what they've been used to. If you if you're basically coming up from schoolboy football for some of them, uh, reading the play at uh, that faster speed and uh, run that little bit harder. The, the decision making is very there. tough. Yeah, the speed that you have to call the shot with the ball and handle defensively is just completely different to the other grades. And I do want to give a shout out to uh, Eli or Ellie Elzacam. I think he's been really nice for the Eels down the right edge. Uh, he's, he's, oh, I think he's, he's probably been uh, one of the surprise packets yeah. of the team. Really nice, really nice line quite, runner. Quite unheralded. Yeah. Quite uh, one, unheralded coming in. One time Parramatta Jr. way back in the day, I think uh, one year, first year SG ball went to West Tigers or the Canterbury Bulldogs. And then eventually found his way back to us. Um, yeah, he's a surprisingly nuanced line runner. Um, he's very dangerous close to the line. Has a nice offload. He set up a try for... Uh, who did he set up a try for? I could make the try scorers list. It was the try that... Uh, was it Jacob Arthur scored it, I think? Yeah, it might have been Jake that scored that one. With a nice little flick pass at the line. Uh, and he scored a try of his own too. So he's been really solid. And... Uh, you know, obviously the Eels are suddenly flush with edge depth given that uh, Papa Lee has moved to one edge and been a complete revelation and Bryce Cartwright has come on really nicely. But it's good to see, a, a, you know, a, a relatively young prospect uh, down in reserve grade carving out a bit of a, a slice on that edge himself. Well, I'm sure that he's that there's uh, people taking notice of his form within the club. So he's certainly not doing his chances to progress his career any any. Uh, damage at all. Yep, and we we know for a fact that the Parramatta Eels pay respect to guys that are willing to uh, carve out a career in reserve grade in order to develop towards the NRL. We you know look at Murata Niakore and before him Daniel Alvaro, who you know uh, had to spend a year or two in Reggie's before moving on to NRL. So there is very much a, p- a pathway for senior development at this club. Well, he's already an international, isn't he? That's right for Lebanon. That's it. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, the Eels don't actually lose too much with this game. Uh, in the Jersey flag, they improved to or improved. They held their spot at six, and it's the same case for the Parramatta Eels in New South Wales Cup. They held their spot at fourth. Uh, they are still within touching distance of the North Sydney Bears in third, who they will take on this week. Uh, but the Magpies and Panthers are a couple of wins or a few wins ahead now. So there's a bit of ground to make up there. 
But yeah, uh, enjoying the young team developing very much so. And that's the end of all the Round 8 action. Let's move on to a couple of news items. Uh, I think we'll start off with the lead article with the Parramatta Eels making a statement yesterday, uh, just around Team West Tuesday, on the Michael Jennings situation. Uh, it's a interestingly worded statement, but uh, the Parramatta Eels and Michael Jennings have today agreed to bring an end to the terms of Mr. Jennings' playing contract. Uh, Mr. Jennings is subject of an ongoing process with Sports Integrity Australia, SIA. Mr. Jennings has been with the Eels since 2016, and based on its experience with Mr. Jennings over the last five years, Parramatta does not consider that Mr. Jennings would intentionally take performance-enhancing substances. However, in recognition that the SIA process will take some time to play out, Parramatta and Mr. Jennings have agreed the part ways because Mr. Jennings wishes to allow the team to fill his position and have the best 2021 and 2022 seasons possible. Parramatta and Mr. Jennings respect the integrity of the SIA process and do not propose to comment further at this stage. So, uh, carefully worded statement, as you'd always expect with these ongoing processes, but uh, ostensibly the Parramatta Eels will gain a spot in their top 30 for this year and next year. And I believe that the media reports that came out alongside the statement speculate that the Eels have freed up somewhere in the vicinity of $200,000 for the 2021 season, plus whatever his actual full wage was for next year. Yeah, and I think uh, probably outside of that, basically what we're saying is um, uh, it's, it's provided clarity for supporters. Yeah, well, there's obviously been yeah, there's been a, a long wait. The bombshell that was dropped during the uh, actual day of our elimination final against South Sydney last year, and then the wait for the B sample to come back positive or negative. Now that's been taken out of the uh, uh, at least the there's no longer the dread of having to wait for both the club and the player. They've agreed to a, a situation that will keep them both happy regardless of how that sample comes back. And, and most importantly for the Eels, they free up that spot in order to focus on their 2021 premiership campaign. Yeah, and I'd like to wish uh, Jenko all the best because um, I, I'm and I'm only giving this out as my personal opinion. Uh, to me, he's been one of the most exciting centres to watch in an Eels jersey in the, uh, the time, the 50 years that I've been a supporter of this club. I'm not saying that he's been the, the, uh, the best centre that I've seen running around, but he certainly been one of the most exciting that's worn the the blue and gold uh when he's been in fine form i've described him as a an absolute rolls royce of centers and the other aspect too is i've, I've had a couple of occasions where i've had a chance to have a bit of a chat at him chat with him at um ill's training and i've found him just to be a real uh down-to-earth bloke uh when uh, on those occasions it, it was just like you know maybe talking to a bloke at the pub about what's going on yeah. He was honestly that um, that straightforward, that honest, that um, yeah, like everyday man, just having a bit of a chat about what's going on. So um, I was a fan of the bloke. I'm sorry that his career looks to have ended in this manner, and um, but I am pleased that um, as a supporter, there's clarity, and that in in talking about what's going to happen. We're not so much talking about his B sample now and wondering yeah, exactly. whether, how long that's going to affect the club because that aspect of it is is basically been finalised by virtue of the fact that he's not a con- no longer a contracted player with the Eels. So all the best, Jenko. Hope the uh, the future uh, is good for you and uh, thank you for being an Eel. Yeah, and further to what you're saying, sixties. I know that he will be rightfully judged on what happens with the B sample. That's going to you know colour people's opinions of the back end of his career for sure, but. It is important to uh, remember that Jenko did help facilitate the rise of the Parramatta Eels from, you know, being a sort of outside top eight contender when he initially joined us to 
being the the force that we are now. So thank you for everything you did, Jenko. And like I said, best uh, best of luck in your future endeavors. Now, uh, we do have an injury update coming out of uh, the Canterbury Bulldogs game where <laughs> uh, there was a, a rather heart-and-mouth moment for Nathan Brown. Uh, it looked like he could have done anything from Achilles to ACL based on what the commentary was saying, but he was grabbing his hip. And then NRL Physio, who wasn't available to actually do a diagnosis on the on the fly because he was looking after his young bub, I believe, uh, got back to us eventually on Twitter, uh, found an, a, a prior incident where I think it was uh, Avasul Manafangai raised a knee and, and managed to put a hell of a cork on Brownie's hip, which led to his uh, collapse and what looked to be a huge non-contact injury. Uh, the club have, I think, cleared him. He's not on the injury report. So he is uh, going to be named or has been named to take on the Sydney Roosters. Um, and it's a massive bullet dodge for the Parramatta Reels. It's an even bigger bullet dodge for Brownie, given he's off contract. And it would have been a devastating blow to his ability to maximise his uh, value. So um, on all accounts, we are very happy about that one, mate. Yeah, and as you say, it was hard in the mouth because just the way that he went down and at the time it was seemingly a non-contact injury and just the collapse on the field and then the look of pain and, and Brownie's a player renowned. A tough hombre. Yeah, a tough hombre. Yeah, so, um, and, and as you said, the NRL physio found the incident that led to the, well, to prove that it was a contact injury, and uh, the Canterbury player was probably uh, lucky not to escape, uh, well, lucky to escape being penalised. We, we spoke about this it. with uh, the boys last night on the Para podcast, and we we instantly, like, simultaneously recorded that Manu Ma'u got two weeks when he didn't even raise the knees, and a guy essentially tackled him around the, the knees, and he got two weeks against the Cowboys for that one. Uh, and this is obviously going back a few years now, but. Uh, other escape for just a fine and a penalty. So he was very, very lucky on both accounts there. Uh, but thankfully, Brownie's going to push through, it looks like. And he probably won't be 100% given he's got a hell of a cork on his hip. But he is um, not called the cyborg for any light reason. He's a, a very tough bloke and he's going to help the Eels try and get the win on Friday, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, now some uh, un, sort of uh, unconfirmed signing rumours for the Eels now. A bit of chatter this week that Mitchell Moses is uh, firming on retaining or being retained by the club. Uh, obviously, a hugely positive news. Uh, Mitch is I'll back the... that in. You'll back that in? I'll back that in. There we go. So we got the 60s uh, seal there on that one. Uh, Mitch obviously having a career year. And the media are talking about it's been kind of lost amongst the all the understandable hype of Sam Walker. Um, Nathan Cleary is killing it. Jerome Luai is killing it. So Mitch is going about his business and playing some really good all-round football very pleasing to see. I know that the club are very happy for what he's doing. Um, so be great to see Mitch re-up for three or four years. There's that That's probably been the the picking point in the media is that Mitch wants four, the club wants three. Um, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But uh, he's uh, young enough that you could probably justify either of those two. Uh, beyond that, uh, I think Pete Bedell was saying that the Eels are going to pull their offer for Katoni Staggs. Uh, Adrian Prashenko reported that there is still an offer on the table, but he is likely to re-sign the Broncos. Um, and that I think the general talk is that the Eels are still uh, pursuing Dane Gagai, who will give them a lot of experience and flexibility between being able to play centre and wing. So uh, a couple of things there to monitor. And I, I think that's most of the signing news that we've seen trotted out in the media this week, mate. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. I'll, look, I'll be backing uh, the Eels to uh, certainly be a stronger case for chasing... Gagai, and on top of that, I think, uh, given the circumstance where one is being 
um, thrown a lot of money by his, by the incumbent club to remain. Correct. The other the other club in the case of Gagai South Sydney, uh, there's a lot of issues around there uh, trying to stay within the salary cap, and if they're looking to get rid of Reynolds at his age, uh, it wouldn't be a surprise that the there's an availability of uh, Gagai. He'd be looking to finish his career with a strong club. So I think a, there's a, a nice fit that goes there for Parramatta and Dane Gagai. And the only other thing, mate, that I think you've missed, or uh, well, we both did, was the previous week with the retirement of one Henry Perinara. That's true, the, uh, uh, a one-time uh, Parramatta Eel. Yeah, our, um, our on-field official. That, uh, look, Henry is unique. I would say, and I've been guilty of ripping in there in the past and and uh, speaking about him being um, one of the referees that I, I always am concerned when the match is on. I'll tell you where I'm nev- I've never been concerned with Henry Perinara is he calls the game down the middle because I don't know if I've ever seen a referee who seems to have uh, equal portions of supporters from every club concerned <laughs> Always complaining about concerned. him getting the game. <laughs> no, um, it, it may well be that uh, it may, people might say that he is uh, pedantic in his officiating with the, the uh, being a stickler for certain rules. Um, but anyone who is forced out of the game, not on their terms, and in this case for Henry, it was a heart condition. We we have to wish them well. Thank them for their time for being a player and an official. He's still continuing on as a uh, video as, analyst or the, whatever. The, the yeah, the video video ref. Yeah, so there will be uh, some clubs, uh, maybe ours, who who sort of shake in their boots, wondering uh, what's going to be enforced as a rule from the uh, video box and what isn't. But as I said, the one thing you could never accuse Henry of is favouring one team or another or seeming to have a style which favours one team or another. There were far too many people from lots of clubs who feared having him on the field. <laughs> and um, I'm not saying players, I'm talking about fans. Uh, so uh, you'd have to say that um, he uh, was quite the uh, impartial ref. And what I suppose, what can you ask, but for a referee to be completely impartial. That's it. And uh, it obviously leaves the NRL now short one referee, so it'll be interesting to see how they uh, look to progress there. I'm not sure if they've already promoted someone. I assume they have. But, yeah, <clears throat> best of luck to Henry and his endeavours as a video referee. And I think that's the majority of the news. There was a little bit of talk about an NRLW expansion with the Titans and the Parramatta Reels uh, listed as initial favourites, but uh, we'll have to wait and see how that uh, progresses because... <clears throat> I'm not sure if they're they're fully committed to expanding this year or if they had the resources, but uh, it would be it would be nice to see get an NRLW team. But I think there's a lot of water to flow on that bridge, isn't there, mate? Yeah, look, I think uh, an NRLW team is a massive commitment, and yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to half-ass it. That that is a big thing. Is that no, you no, don't want to undermine their to, ability. We spoke to Mary Kay in a podcast earlier this year. The lot, in fact, I believe it was their our live podcast Correct. at Paraleagues about um, the need to expand the NRLW. It's at that point where, for their growth, they need to expand. So it's it has to be a careful decision, not just from the NRLW about which clubs they bring in, but also the clubs themselves as to 
whether their initial year can be as strong as they'd like it to be. And that, and, yeah. and I'm making that point of initial year because I think um, the the strength of the NRLW is the um, the talent that's within the four teams. The downside of the NRLW is the fact that there are only four teams and that depending on how that draw works out after the first round, it, it can almost be that people know who's going to play in their final after the first round. And that's too short a season. It's too few teams. Um, let's see that, make sure that the talent is there. I think the talent is probably there to spread across six teams, but you have to be sure that the, that it is a total commitment to get in there and to hit the ground running whichever clubs come in as part of the expansion. Yep. And I think now we are at the end of the news. I haven't missed anything else, have I, mate? No, No, I think we're, think we're pretty much up to date. And we've managed to get Joey back on the line for another uh, round of Joey's uh, mailbag, sorry, along with uh, some of the discussion of results in the juniors and reserve grade. Joey, mate, always a pleasure to have you on the tip sheet. Yeah, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Um, it's nice to talk to you again, particularly after the week we've had. That's it, mate. Sixties uh, and I actually just ended up discussing the Harold Matthews result uh, prior, but we're going to get you to talk us through it as well. Manly proved to be too strong in the Harold Matthews grand final on Saturday. What was your take on that match? Yeah, they were, they were favourite for a reason. Uh, we played them round one. Uh, we gave them... Uh, we were in front of about 13 minutes to go by a couple of tries. They came back and, and really hurt us there. We just clocked off. and They went through the remainder of the season undefeated. Um, which gave them a level of confidence. Uh, both Parramatta and Manly had the week off, um, given that they finished first and second. Uh, both were uh, conclusive without being outstanding in their two preliminary games. The areas that I felt that led us down in the grand final, Jono, in the uh, 60s, was uh, I think we were um, intimidated uh, by Manly. Um, we respected them too much and we couldn't gain back the momentum through their bigger forwards uh, taking on or challenging us through the middle. I really feel that's where we probably lost uh, the game through the middle, which has been probably one of our uh, strong suits um, throughout you know, uh, the, the first uh, eight or nine rounds of the competition. So disappointing loss. Um, ironically, or in saying that, uh, we had a chance to get a try down when uh, we'd scored two tries, we, we'd come back, we've gained a bit of momentum, we went to our edge and um, um, our half dropped Declan Murray back under, coming back through the ruck and he uh, was unable to pass or we were unable to finish that play. I, if we score there uh, with nine minutes to go, um, we could have done something mm-hmm. miraculous, but I thought that we were um, physically outplayed on the weekend. Joey, I, I described it as uh, one of rugby league's old cliches where Manly were too big, too strong, too fast for our team. And I think it's a fair analogy of what they faced, what the Eels faced with that Manly side. They were a very big side. And as you said, they won the middle. But I still thought our boys were quite courageous in the way that they uh, they didn't turn their they didn't turn their toes up against the against a, a powerful opponent, 
Um, and I just thought it was one of those games where, I don't know, maybe arguably Manly played their best game of the year, uh, particularly as a team rather than relying on individuals. Yeah, and it certainly seemed that way, um, 60s, the way they came out, uh, the level of intensity they um, had from the get-go um, and just uh, causing havoc through the middle and they were making 60, 65 metres um, before their kick. So that was always going to be um, a red flag for us. But, yep, um, the boys did come back with uh, two um, courageous tries, two courageous points. Um, but, yeah, just too big, too strong. You're 100% right, mate. Uh, Manly were just too good on the day. Mm-hmm. So what positives um, can the boys and the staff take from this season? Certainly, I think the, the fact that they uh, finished the season in second spot, um, certainly the fact that we've got um, seven underage players in that squad of 21 that can back up next year. Um, and certainly, we're look, looking forward to some of those younger players in our Harold Matthews program um, having an opportunity to represent City versus Country, which takes over from the New South Wales, Queensland um, game. So I would be quite confident that we would get three, possibly four players in that city side. Um, From the staff perspective, from a personal development point of view, um, they can take away the job that they did uh, was remarkable. Nothing short of remarkable. The level of detail and the attention into the program that they delivered, um, they have to be... um, you know, they have to be really pleased with the outcome of their footy side. Mm-hmm. Now, with the SG ball wrapping up prior, we saw those boys start filtering through into the Jersey flag. What happens for the rest of the year for the boys in the Harold Matthews? Most of those players will go back into their community clubs now where we will uh, monitor them and create touch points What we're uh, aiming to do from a club perspective, which was introduced by Ben Rogers, who has come in as head of recruitment, we would like to gather um, information, consistent information on both the players we have currently in our elite pathways programs, as as well as identify players that we may have missed or have developed over the past 12 months. We've got a a larger staff of scouts and development officers within Parramatta, so they will go back and we will monitor them, um, ensure that uh, we're um, um, seeing them, speaking to them, um, uh, you know, giving them some encouragement on what they need to do uh, to better themselves before they come back for selection trials in September, October. Our last Friday, uh, BA and some of the NRL squad made a special presentation to uh, the boys at their uh, captain's run. How important is it to have the club's NRL coach so invested in the pathways? We are an incredibly lucky club to have someone like Brad Arthur as the head coach of our club um, having such an interest in our junior reps. Um, being a development-based club, the, he sees and understands the importance particularly on the back of now the second injection of junior players within our NRL program. Not so long ago, we had um, seven of our players that are training or were offered an opportunity to train full-time 
playing in our Harold Matthews and SG ball. We're incredibly blessed to have someone of the stature and respect of Brad Arthur to um, deliver a short message and to deliver the jerseys with players, which I just spoke about, in pre- uh, also present in Jacob Arthur, Will Penasini, Samuel Luizio and Sean Russell. Those young men were playing Harold Matthews three years ago. They were playing SG Ball last year. So that was the message behind uh, Brad speaking to the group. But to go back to your original question, the fact that Brad came down in his very difficult schedule says a lot about what he thinks or the value of our programs are. No, it's um, very good to hear that we're working from the, the top down to create a, a unified structure for progression for these kids. Um, so, you know, Absol- it helps them, helps them buy in, uh, absolutely. Absolutely, mate. Now, uh, Australia Post don't deliver every day anymore, Joey, but thankfully they've arrived on time to give us our mailbag this week. <laughs> and the first question uh, from the mailbag comes from Mark. Um, we're going to touch on the fatigue factor in the game again. And Mark says, with fatigue becoming more of a factor, the ability to play eyes up footy seems to be more important. How do Pathways coaches ensure that players aren't over-drilled and can still play what they see? That's a real good question, Mark. And the answer for that is that uh, when someone comes through at the age of um, 13 or 14, 15's programs, we have various shapes that we run throughout the club. Um, John, you just mentioned before the word unity. Um, we need to make sure or have systems in place that our under-14s and 15s players know. So if they progress up that pathway, when they get to NRL, when Brad doesn't have the time to educate and teach these players, we have various shapes and various plays and various various systems that we adhere to and follow, it all in conjunction with Brad's coaching philosophies. So from a, a 14 and 15 age group, we're um, running... Uh, different shapes and plays against um, poles into hit pads into live defence. So it gets the players to understand who they're getting to, who the halves or the ball runners are getting to, and their support lines, who their lead line and out-the-back plays are getting to as secondary shape. Where it changes, where I want to um, answer Mark's question is, when they get into that 16 and 17-year-old age group, we start to do a lot of um, uh, drills where uh, it's left v right or conditioning games or conditioning activities where it takes a player to look up to identify where the deficiency in the defence is at. And whilst that's incredibly important to identify, the real skill is if they can execute where the deficiency is with the right play and beat that deficiency or gain an advantage from that deficiency. So to answer Mark's question, when they get to that 16 to 17-year-old age group and older, we have less structured drills and activities and we encourage more left v right conditioning games. So one, it teaches the players... It teaches the players to think on their feet and work with combinations offensively 
but it also assists the defensive side or the def team that are defending that play to work together as well. So less structure, less structured games allows more fluency and off the cuff eyes up um, opportunities. Okay, well, now this next one comes from one of our Twitter followers, El Trixo, and he asks, can you give us an understanding of the strategies that wingers and centres are taught for defence in the modern rugby modern NRL game? Okay. Um, there's two thoughts, um, two thoughts in this process. Um, you can either be a passive defence or you can be an aggressive defence. Uh, some teams, like the Roosters and, and uh, uh, certainly our defensive line, can transition from uh, we can be aggressive in one sense, but in the very next play, depending on where the ball is played, we can be passive. What I mean by passive is backing off and we're happy to give the attacking team uh, 10 or 15 metres of territorial advantage to ensure that we've covered from the inside and use the sideline as a defender. Normally, the rule of thumb is when you've got a player the ball, you've got two markers and invariably a fullback. Now the game has changed defensively where the fullback jumps into the defensive line at the first defender of the ruck, which we identify as A. But teams are becoming very smart now where they see that defender in the line, they will kick for someone else because they know the fullback's not there. So the reason I wanted to explain that is because while that tactic has become more frequent, now it's reverting back because teams are becoming so much better of identifying when the fullback's in the defensive line, which leads to my next part. If the fullback is not defending in your defensive line and is traditionally back behind the defensive line, you've got an automatic overlap. And the overlap is created by the fullback swinging on one side to the other. Where, that's where teams get an overlap. The rule of thumb is that if you are playing to your fullback, the deeper the, the, the deeper the halfback or the 5'8 or the ball player takes that to the defensive line, the more opportunity your defensive line with your centre coming in and collapsing your defensive line. What I mean by that is that the, the way that the system works out, the fullback ends up playing on the outside of the lead runner. So the centre or the person that's defending two in has to make a decision. Does he come off his line aggressively to shut that play down? And if he does do that, the winger, it's imaginary piece of rope. If the centre gets ahead of the line and tries to shut down the play by shooting out and trying to tackle the fullback, on the outside of the fullback, there is the centre and the winger. So the winger needs to also come with the centre like an imaginary piece of string. The problem with that is that there is a, a one-man overlap. The winger is unmarked. But we or teams are happy 
for that to happen because the only way you can get the ball to that winger is by going over the top and throwing the Harbour Bridge pass or kicking the ball through and the winger chasing it to score in the corner. So the rule is whatever the centre does, the winger must marry. Equally, equally, if they're coming down, if you're playing, if a team's coming against an edge, um, say they're playing the ball 50 metres at the halfway mark of the football field, what you can do, you can actually, uh, if the if the halfback or the 5'8 passes the ball earlier, rather than taking the ball deep into to the defensive line, your winger and centre can actually um, start heading backwards and using and forcing the uh, attacking team to pass the ball and you uh, you uh, push them over the sideline. I said before, you use the sideline as a defender um, and I'm yet to see the sideline miss a tackle since 1908. <laughs> So that's the two things um, that that we got to understand. Fundamentally, the winger is tied to the centre, though, isn't he, Joey? What what the centre calls, the winger has to go in, because when they don't, that's when you see the the big breakdowns defensively that lead to line breaks and tries. Absolutely. And we've seen a lot of of detachment last year and the year before between Blake and Wonga. Um, A lot of people say that they weren't in sync we have a system, they should understand. Whatever Wanga does, Blake needs to follow. If Wanga gets it wrong and Blake follows, then Wanga or the centre will get in trouble. Mm-hmm. If Wanga makes a decision and Blake doesn't follow and they score or get an opportunity, then the winger is in the wrong. So you're exactly right, Jono. Whatever the centre does, the winger must do also. You know, it's interesting thinking about all of that from uh, that perspective because... The attention is often drawn to uh, all the times that we see in a game where uh, one team is caught um, short and tries to score down the outside of the play. And obviously, the it's something's gone wrong. Whether it's been that the uh, the the winger and centre haven't synced, or if one's jammed in, the other that they haven't jammed in quick enough. But probably what isn't noted as much is the number of times that it forces a bad pass, forces the pass over the top, forces a, a pass into the ground, um, forces a forward pass where the, the ball has been, uh, where, where the timing of the uh, the centre's pass to the winger hasn't worked out or, or someone on the inside when they've gone for the big Harbour Bridge pass where it's gone over the top. So it's probably a case of the defence doesn't get enough credit for the errors that they create, rather they seem to cop a, a bit of a bagging for the times when the attacking team gets it right. And let's face it, in a game of rugby league, the attacking team's going to get it right some of the time because otherwise there's a score would be nil all at the end of a game. <laughs> Absolutely, six. And you touched on a really good point there. If the centre's going to jam out and attack the fullback, the centre or the uh, the two the man defending um, two in from the sideline is actually blindsiding the fullback coming outside in. So he doesn't see him until late. So that's why they're causing the error or forcing the error. Now, I'll challenge your um, listeners 
whenever you see a try scored on the outside, have a look to see how far the winger, not by timing, but by distance, how far behind the centre he or she is. Now, if he is with the centre, he's defended well. But if he gets beat on the outside of the defender, that normally means that the winger was a little bit behind the centre when the centres decided to go hard. And this is uh, something that I feel would be be beneficial if viewers of like myself, 60s included, were had access to, uh, I suppose you call it the coaches film, but in, in the NFL, I know that they do release what's called the All-22, uh, if you have a subscription to the NFL's uh, digital platform, where uh, a few days after the game, they'll release all broadcast angles. So you can actually get like the wide angle, the head-on angle, the rear angle, and that way you actually have a better, you get a better idea of the spacings uh, that players have. So you'd be able to see from a, a, a wide angle why the, the center and the winger might make the decision that they made. Whereas on the broadcast angle, sometimes it's that zoomed in view. But uh, you do make a good point, Joey, about a little bit of study that uh, both myself and 60s and our viewers can, or viewers, listeners, unless you're, uh, you're, <laughs> you're listening, if your eyes somehow uh, can do uh, moving forwards. We're very lucky, Jono, because uh, and here the NRL provides us um, five different angles of footage where the people at home only see what Foxtel or Channel That's right, the, the broadcast, broadcast angles. Mm-hmm. We, we have a camera um, that is behind. If we're running north to south, there's a camera facing north to south. There's a camera facing south to north. Where the TV is uh, broadcasting or take collecting footage from, there is the TV cam, and then what we have is the eagle cam. The eagle cam is at every stage of the game, we can see every player and we can see the entire field. And then we have the other angles, which are on the goalposts, are fixed onto the goalposts. Yes. So unfortunately your viewers or your listeners in this case aren't able to view the eight different angles that Foxtel view from which we have access to. Yeah, and like I said, that's one of the cool functions of the the National Football League over in America is that you can actually get access to that footage eventually later in the week after a game, which helps a lot of the uh, uh, amateur analysis scene that they've got over there because they have a lot of really cool uh, social media accounts that do breakdowns of plays defensively and defensively and why certain things work. But maybe one day in the NRL we'll get there too. Well, hopefully if you've got a few sponsors out there, uh, Jono and Sixties, we might be able to start our YouTube, uh, the Cumberland Throw YouTube channel and um, get something like that available so we can document, illustrate and explain why things work we'll, from we'll, a IT capacity. We'll, we'll put it on the uh, the Christmas uh, wish list, all right? <laughs> yeah, mate. All right, I've got a, a question on ball handling mechanics here and it comes from Ron who asks, is there a technique that the players are taught to carry the ball on one hand? And if so, when is it taught? And I'll add on to Ron's question. Uh, can you explain, in addition to what Ron asked, why players are taught to swap their ball-carrying hands in certain situations? Yeah, great question. That one is a fundamental uh, activity or drill or skill we do. Normally on a footy, and this is the best way to explain it, if you can... Um, now, you younger people in this way may not understand this, but believe it or not, before kicking tees were around, um, they used to use sand. And the best way to explain 
um, you know, the way, the correct way to hold a rugby league football is watch or go to YouTube and watch an old Mal Meninda, um goal kicking. Uh, watch him kick a goal. He would get the ball and he would place it on a piece of sand, uh, a mound of sand, and he would step back and toe-poke it through. Better still, um, watch Michael Cronin, who's a Parramatta legend. Now, the reason I say this is because they would look over the ball and they would sit the ball up approximately 45 degrees and they would toe-punt it through the goalposts. What we encourage our players to do is if you can envisage getting the ball and putting it on that mound of sand. Now, place it on that imaginary mound of sand, hold it at 45 degrees so you can best imagine you can sight the top of the ball and the bottom of the ball. At the top and the bottom of the ball, there's a cross because you've got four panels on the football. You need to hold the ball as best you can with your best opportunity that you can, which is impossible, but the best way that you can see the top and the bottom of the ball. That is where, how you should be holding the ball in two hands when you run. That's the first part. The second part is you've got four fingers and a thumb on each hand, well, most of us do. Um, what you need to do is have a four and one finger in the panels. So you need to have four of your fingers in one panel and your thumb in another panel. And you need to mirror that as if you're holding a baby. If you can get that grip on both sides, so it's exactly the same, four and one, and you can imagine seeing the top and the bottom of the ball at 45 degrees, that is your two-hand grip. Now, you spoke about transfer very holding into one one hand into the other and, and vice versa. From that grip, you can pass the ball left to right, or if you want to um, grasp the ball with your right hand, you just take your left hand and with the same grip, pull it into your sternum area. Then you can use your hand as a fen or an evasion technique. To get it back, you just pull the ball off your hand and reverse. And equally, if you want to, if a person's coming from your right-hand side, you want to hold it in your left hand because you want to take the threat away from the defender. So you want to pull the ball away from the defender um, or keep it away from you. So if a person's coming at my right, I need to grab the ball, put it in my sternum area with my left hand. I don't change the grip. It's the four and one panel. And then I can use my right hand as a uh, bumper or a So, And the reason we do that is because uh, when we're running, it adds a bit of self-preservation and it adds an opportunity for us um, not to get tackled. Now, I've, I've got something I want to add to the end there, which is that um, Joey uh, decided that he would demonstrate for me uh, one of the techniques that he taught for developing strength in the hand for those players that uh, when they're uh, developing that carrying the ball in one hand skill. And he had tins of baby formula wrapped up in tape and filled with sand. 
and he handed the, these cans to me and said, okay, now raise your arm while still holding on to the uh, cans of baby formula. I couldn't do it with the left arm, the non the, the non-favoured arm. I just, I'd get partially up and I just didn't have, didn't have the strength to keep the grip yep. whilst raising the arm. The other arm, I'm like, okay, I can do this. The next day, boy, did I have a sore, sore <laughs> shoulder and, uh, and arm from doing it. I was thinking, I'd forgotten all about doing it at, uh, down at training uh, that particular day. And then uh, I was trying to think, why is my arm so sore? And then I realised what I was doing. But that, that was an interesting technique that you showed, Joey. Yeah, and you know what, uh, 60, so two things there. I just want to make sure you had the sore arm from holding the tin. Can we just confirm that? Yeah, it wasn't something else. No, no, nothing else, mate. Nothing else. Okay. And the second part, people think if you've got small hands, you can't hold the football. It's got nothing to do with the size of the hands per se. It's your finger strength. And some of the techniques that we teach our players is that when you grab a ball four and one panel, your um, your palm cannot be touching the ball. If your palm is touching the ball, that means your um, fingers, you haven't got the strength to hold the ball. The, the, your fingertips, and particularly your thumb, are the points that allows you or won't allow you to hold the ball. And that's why we use the heavy formula tins as a way of teaching our players that. Well, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I found it interesting. Anyway, I just couldn't do. As I said, I couldn't do it with the the left hand, but the uh, the right hand could manage it. Just felt the after effects. Uh, now, moving on, we've got a question from John. He asks, "We are yet to see a twenty forty in the NRL. Do you think that a twenty forty would ever come up in discussions during the planning for any match?" I don't know if they'd come up into the discussions of any match. Every player knows what a 2040 is. The only problem about a 2040 is if you don't get it, oh, the coach is going to be very, very upset. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even if you're behind in a game, you go for a 2040. Yeah, I get that. But the way the teams defend now, particularly the back three, the wingers are actually behind your defensive line and they actually, we, we call it pendulum, um, swinging pendulum. Depending on where the ball is, if the ball comes to the side of the left winger, then the left winger joins the end of the line where the right winger actually drops back and the fullback tracks where the ball is. Look, it's not something that we would discuss. Uh, it's certainly something that we would uh, note and the players all aware. I guess it's like the two-point field goal. It's taken, um, you know, Reynolds was the first to do it. It took, uh, you know, six rounds, five rounds to do it. You wouldn't plan for a two-point field goal, but the players would know it is available and it's within the rules. I'd make a prediction that I reckon the first team that does it will probably be Penrith, and if they're about 30 points up and they just want to rub the salt into a team... <laughs> That uh, Cleary might have a have a crack at a twenty four. <laughs> well, I'm going to put my Nostal Darius hat on. Okay, I'm, yep, yep. I'm going to put my. Uh, I'm going to say Cameron Munster will try it first. Okay, and we'll watch a Bellamy blow up. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, make... what what doesn't Craig blow up about because he? Oh <laughs> no, no, I'm not suggesting. That. I, I I'm you suggesting, know what? I'm, I'm suggesting I'm, he actually got it. I'm thinking and Bellamy blows that up. I'm going to be right. I'm actually going to back you in because I'd love to see a Bellamy blow up over something like that. Oh, I'm actually uh, uh, Munster actually gets it, but Bellyache still still oh, blows up. Uh, having having watched that. him in the box, I don't think there's much that Craig Bellamy doesn't blow up about. Even when his team's up by forty, he, he gets he gets fired up about everything. He's a great, he's a great uh, that's, that's that's part of the reason why they've stayed at the top is that the attention to detail from the, the coach down. He's oh, a great goodness. coach. He's doing a great job for them. Yeah. He's um he certainly presided over a pretty uh, pretty tight ship there. So uh let's move on. Uh away from the mailbag now. Thank you for answering those questions as always, Joey. Uh on to the NRL. Uh what do you think was the biggest positive for Parramatta uh, in our win over the dogs in round eight? I think the best thing uh, that's it's become more evident now, and your listeners uh, may not uh, recognise this, or, or some of them may, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. Um, I'm pretty sure for the first time, or maybe the second time um, in two seasons, we completed both our first five sets of each half. So we completed 100% of our first five sets in the first half, as we did in the second half, we completed at 100%. That just gives you an indication of um, the confidence because we're not only tucking the ball under our arm, we're actually moving the ball and creating opportunities in second phase play. For me, having um, a, a 10 out of 10 um, or 5 out of 5, for the first five sets of each of our halves, says, says a lot about where we are uh, mentally as a uh, as a team. Uh, just yeah. now onto the uh, onto this week, and looking at their key playmaker for the Roosters, uh, Sam Walker. He's uh, he's he's certainly been very successful in his introduction to first grade. Um, what is it about him that has made his introduction so successful and what can we do to make his job tougher this week? According to the first question, um, the answer is he just looks so confident. He doesn't look like an 18-year-old going out there and throwing that Harbour Bridge pass. He just looks like he's going to back what's worked for him as a younger player, um, and he's going to back himself um, and, and execute it beautifully. It's funny that you you know you mentioned him. Um, he's just a person. These young people coming into uh, rugby league at the moment are really, really incredible. They're not scared. Their confidence level is is sky high. And I can give you another example. I know we're not playing them, but the 5-8 for the Warriors, Reese Walsh, he's also a baby. He's also in the same um, same area or, or, you know, same region as what Walker is. And their level of confidence is so refreshing. Um, that's the biggest difference from Walker to other players. And it was funny listening to um, real expert commentators about who he reminds you of and 
when they first came in. And a lot of them, uh, respected people, said that he was actually better than Andrew Johns because Andrew Johns didn't have the, the confidence to throw those passes or, or try those kicks that um, Walker has done um, in the first you know, three or four or two or three weeks. Um, so that's where he's at at the moment. They likened him to a Greg Alexander, who as a young 18, 19 year old came in first place. And just with his flair and his uh, confidence, um, made a big statement. And I think that's where we're at with a young walker, just his level of confidence and his ability to believe and continue to what has worked for him in the past, whether it's been playing in knock-on effect cup or, or you know, the Jersey flag or in the Malamina Cup back in, in Brisbane, he's using uh, what's worked for you. That's a, a nice answer into what makes a, a young prodigy like Sam Walker tick, Joey. Thanks for that. It, the confidence factor is obviously a huge part of it. And it'll be interesting to see how he responds when invariably there is a, a slump because, you know, the big shots don't play or uh, don't come off in a you know a game or two. And then that that's, uh, I suppose, how, how battle-hardened you'll see where he is. And based on what we've seen so far, he'll probably bounce back pretty quickly. Oh, I think he will. I think he will. And, Jono, um, I don't think Trent Robson or any one of that coaching, you know, if they had someone like a, a walker in their team and they got it wrong, everyone does have a bad, bad, you know, game or a bad couple of games. Mm-hmm. That's That happens in rugby league. But Trent Robson won't want him to change what's worked for him yeah. and the team. And if he gets it wrong by trying, I don't think – He's going to get in too much trouble, and no different to, to Brad Arthur or any other. Coach. Exactly, they exactly. would actually um, encourage the halves and the five eights to play what they see. You see a lot more of um, what we're doing at Parramatta. We don't pigeonhole players to play left and right all the time exclusively. Um, we see the players come from the other side, first receiver. The players go second receiver, and things like that. So coaches won't be disappointed if they get it wrong sometimes. What coaches may not or may get disappointed with is changing what has worked for you in the past. And that's why I think Robbo's been great for Walker and Walker's just backing himself. Now, enough on the rooster. About <laughs> us. I, I, was just, I was just wondering whether the uh, reason that he's... I was just thinking he's... No one's belted the tripe out of him. That's probably what I'm. What I wanted to uh, be maybe a bit more blunt about. And I was just wondering, looking at him play, he seems to play a lot before the line, and that when he's in the line, it's almost as if he's created a a space for himself where he's not having to dig in with the risk of getting belted. Is it? Is that a fair comment, or have I have I missed the times where he does dig into the line? I think he digs into the line, but he's. Uh... He's only two or three games into his NRL career. Um, you'll see him um, dig into the line deeper and deeper and deeper each week as he gets confidence. He does like to play pool and give opportunities to his outside backs. And with a good play the ball, that's when he jumps on and creates the opportunity. But that says to me, he's a smart player. He's going to get his advantage on the back of someone else giving him an advantage. 
And uh, before we do wrap up, how do you see Friday night playing out for us, mate? Uh, obviously, Parramatta Eels playing host to the battle-ravaged Sydney Roosters, who have been playing fantastic football despite their injury toll. Yeah, um, I, I know that everyone said uh, they're battle-ravaged and so forth, but they've still got twice as many international players than what we have this week on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, they've still got um, Tedesco coming back. They've got Tupa, Derek Tupa. They've got uh, Joey Marley in the centres. Uh, they've got Icky Alvaro on the wing. Um, you know, uh, they've got a very, very good side. So I don't think we're playing it up to That's just excellent roster management by the Roosters. Um, the fact that they've got injuries, um, well, they're no better worse than three or four other teams. We're just lucky that we've got available the players that we have, and we're very lucky that we don't have the injury toll um, that we currently, or they, uh, other teams currently have. So um, where we're going to be, uh, um, I think, get the advantage is, again, on our last play options. I've been on to it. I've been speaking about uh, since, since we started this one podcast. It's true. But I think I think our end of sets results are going to be similar to what they were when we beat Melbourne on that wet day. Uh, the, the rain's going to be around until um, till Saturday, I believe. So the conditions may be very, very similar to how we played uh, or when we played against the Storm. So um, without... Knowing exactly um, what the tactics will be, um, the boys only had a white session yesterday. Um, I would imagine that we would have the mindset and similar strategy as we did with uh, the Melbourne Storm and our kicking game was, was on song that night, if you remember. Correct. That's a, a nice place to wrap it up, Joey. Uh, thanks for stopping by, mate. Uh, I know the junior rep season has wrapped up as of that loss against Manly Grand Final, but we do hope we can get you back around to talk us through the, the finer details of the senior grades as the year progresses, because there is a lot of stuff to, do, um, to discuss. Oh, 100%. Race. And um, just to let you know, our Jersey Flecker go up for three on the bounce this week. Um, they had a, a wonderful couple of weeks, and those young SG ball players, there's five that, that played last week in the 18 are really making their mark. So uh, wonderful times ahead, man. Very, very much so. Looking forward, looking forward to the match. Love you guys. Thanks for listening, guys. Keep those uh, questions. Oh, you there, Joey? I think, I think Joey's trying to say keep those questions coming. Uh, but we've also had him just drop out. So I will let him go there. <laughs> we'll get in touch with him next week. Thank you, Joey. Catch you later, mate. <laughs> uh, the joys of our recording. Sometimes you get those little moments like that. But yeah, thank you, Joey, for dropping by. We'll catch him in the next episode. Oh, sorry, the episode after the next episode because we do do review preview splits now. <laughs> well, let's uh, move on and, and start wrapping up this podcast as we get to the uh, preview section, the go-home section. And we'll start with the Jersey flag. Just three grades of football now moving forwards with the uh, junior reps all wrapped up. Uh, we'll start with the flag where the Eels take on the Sydney Roosters. They'll be standalone this week out at Ringrose Park on Saturday, kickoff at 5.30pm. So the Parramatta Eels enter this round in sixth place, taking on the eighth place Roosters. Uh, I think just minor changes to the Eels this week as they look to make it three in a row. Starting at fullback, you have Clayton Farlolo, Solomon Nidiki and Fruin Easthope on the wings, Jabril Kalachi and Jaden Skinner in the centres. 
Tavita Massima and Kyle Schneider over six and seven, respectively. You've got a front row of Dave Hollis, Ethan LeBlanc, and Jake Colavati. In the back row, it's Oliver Clements and Peter Tatio on the edges with Jaden Yates at lock forward. On the bench, uh, a lot of SG ball prospects there. Caleb Toey, Jonte Jr., Beffin Mesa, the big hyphen, Lennox Whitaker, and Brock Parker, who makes his return. I assume from injury, maybe suspension. We don't get that sort of information from the Jersey flag, unfortunately. And Larry Moagututia is the 18th man. Um, I believe we're going to be out at this one, mate. Uh, at the very least, it's going to be live updates. Uh, but maybe, maybe, maybe you might be having something better in uh, uh, in the works, right? Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how we go there. With um, a few phone calls and that to make today. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned. We'll let you know if there is anything to announce in regards to uh, an alternative form of broadcast for that game. But yeah, otherwise you'll be getting live updates uh, via my game blog. And then moving on to New South Wales Cup. This one is the curtain raiser on Friday night. Kickoff 5.25pm versus the North Sydney Bears, who are affiliated with the Sydney Roosters. Uh, another couple of uh, minor changes in this grade too, uh, with Hayes Perham named at fullback. Lalatoa Mata'afa is named on one wing and should get his first start of the season after playing off the bench as a utility back for a number of games. Um, I say that because Hayes Dunster is named in a row and won't, uh, is either going to have to drop back as a pre-game cut or will play as he did against the Canterbury Bulldogs as the utility back. Um, and on the other wing, you have Sean Russell, Will Penasini, and Michael Olford are in the centres. In the halves, you've got Jordan Rankin and Jacob Arthur. Makahesi Makatoa switches from lock forward to prop this week. And in the front row, he is joined by Joey Lusick and Wiramu Gregg. Uh, uh, Eli Elzakam, Ray Stone, who makes his return from injury, and Keegan Hipgrave are the back rowers. Uh, Elzakam and Stone are on the edges. Hipgrave moving from edge to lock forward this week. So a couple of shuffling uh, players in the front in the forward pack, sorry. On the bench, you've got Nathaniel Roach, Kurt Dillon, Charbel Tassapali, and Kai Rodwell. Atasi James is the 18th man, but I expect him. To, I expect sorry that he would drop back to the flag um, if he doesn't play the game uh, in Cup this week. Yeah, and uh, that's probably another game where where maybe stand by for a bit of news. Yeah, exactly. So on, at uh, the very least, you'll be getting live updates for, via game blog. But if we do have the right clearance this week, we should have um, something cool to announce. If I just look at that Bears lineup quickly. Um, a couple of decent players in there. Brad Abbey was a, a touted prospect from the Warriors at one point, went to Canberra and is now at the Roosters. Uh, the wonder kid, Joseph Sawali, will probably line up against Will Penasini, I believe, uh, in a right v left uh, uh, duel, which would continue Will's incredible... Uh, seriously, the scheduling of centres he's played against this year, you could not ask for a better development year in New South Wales Cup. It's just been an absolute dream team of centres uh, for the grade. And then you have... Uh, there's a Hopawati there, John Hopawati. Uh, Jesse Mask is listed at hooker, but he did get the call up to NRL, so I'm interested to see what they'll do there because uh, Sam Verrills, unfortunately, has a detached retina. So he's going to be out. Um, but yeah, it's it's not an incredible team on paper, barring a couple of those uh, good young talents. Um, but they are travelling pretty well in the competition, just ahead of the Eels. So Yeah, and as you said, it's, it's an exciting team from a, the Eels team's an exciting team to follow, so... No doubt the um, Roosters supporters would probably feel the same about theirs. Uh, sorry, just uh, having someone in my ear talking about uh, food logistics. Uh, so we're going to move on from there. But yeah, coverage will be on TCT by live updates or perhaps by another broadcast. We'll let you know as we find out. And then moving on to the main event, which kicks off in the primetime slot on Friday as the Parramatta Eels play host to the injury-raveled but still injury-riddled, sorry, but battle-hardened Sydney Roosters, who uh, come in as almost... Ran- hang, hang on, hang on. What was that word that you just invented? Injury-raveled? 
reveled. Okay, oh, injury reveled. But I, I then had to make it back to the injury riddle, but battle hardened. Yeah, so my <laughs> my impeccable uh, control of the English language continues as we go from podcast <laughs> to podcast. But yeah, Parramatta Eels are strong favourites in this game. One fifty seven on the line versus the Roosters two forty. Uh, understandably, given the Roosters do have a lot of injuries, but they are still playing some fantastic football. Seriously, like impressive stuff considering how many players they've lost. Um, the Roosters look like this coming into this game. Massive boost. Uh, James Tedesco was back at fullback, captain in the team, with uh, Daniel Tupu and Matt Icavallo on the flanks. Josh Morris and Joseph Manu round out. Are still, that is an incredible backline to have, despite all the injuries <laughs> they've got. Uh, Joey Joey wasn't kidding when he still like you know he talked about having twice as many internationals as Parramatta. Look at that backline, unreal. Uh, in the halves, Drew Hutchinson and the uh, young prodigy Sam Walker. Hutchinson's been solid. The Roosters Walker has been sensational. Um, no doubt the Eels will have a, a game plan for Walker, hopefully. But based on what the other teams have been doing, he's still going to get his. He is a very talented young kid. Front row is very handy with Isaac Liu and CSI Atakiaho bookending Benjamin Marshke, who replaces the uh, late withdrawal of Sam Verrills so without the attached retina. Wish Verrills the best in getting that one fixed up. That's a pretty alarming injury to have. Um, it's still a very good back row with the outstanding Angus Crichton on one edge, uh, Nat Butcher, the young forward, on the other, and Victor, the inflictor, Radley at lock forward. On the bench, they've got Adam Kieran, the veteran Jared Weir Hargraves, Fletch Baker, and Daniel Saluka Fafita. Extended bench of Egan Butcher, Nafahu White, Lachlan Lamb, and Wonder Kid Joseph Sawali, Trent Robinson as the coach. So, still a very good team despite all those injuries. It's a credit to the Roosters. I know there's, you know, jokes you can make about the salary cap and whatnot, but they still built this team and it's still very good despite all the injuries. Mate, when you're talking about that, I mean, first of all, you mentioned the back line. And then when you're talking about the forwards, JWH still isn't getting a start in the team. And obviously there are reasons uh, behind uh, the, the feeling from Robinson that he wants to start him off the bench, feel that he'll have more effect uh, coming from the bench. You're probably just starting to see the impact of the injuries as far as that bench is concerned. Yeah. That might just be where the Parramatta has the edge over the Roosters is the bench. Yeah, but their starting forward still that good that they're going to anchor him in the contest for a long time. That's it. Uh, yeah. So how the Eels match up against the incoming tricolors looks like this. Just uh, one cosmetic change, actually. Um, it's the same 21 that were named to take on the Dogs with Ryan Madison, uh, who did actually start against the Dogs but was named on the bench, now officially named the start, which means they look like this. Quentin Gufferson... Uh, opposing captain fullbacks, you don't see that too often, but Quinton Gufferson, number one, and uh, captain for the Eels, Mike Acevo and Blake Ferguson on the wings, Tom Opacic and Murata Niakore in the centres, Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses are the six and seven, that outstanding front row of Reagan, Campbell, Gillard, Reed, Marnie, and Junior Paulo. Uh, June's back to start, I expect, this week after getting a little experiment on the bench, I suppose, with the Darwin conditions playing a factor in the backup there, but he's back to start this week. Uh, you got the back row of Isaiah Papali'i, Ryan Madison, and Nathan Brown. As you mentioned before, Brown seemingly cleared the play this week after sustaining a very bad hip cork. On the bench, Oregon Kafusi, Sean Lane, Hayes, Dunster is a utility back, and Bryce Cartwright. Extended bench of Joey Lusick, Keegan Hipgrave, Wiramu Greg, and Jordan Rankin. Brad Arthur is the coach. Uh, very nice to have consistency in the lineup. Obviously, it's the polar opposite of the Sydney Roosters. Uh, both teams travelling well, though, in spite of their differing uh, circumstances. Yeah, and that's what makes it such a quality match is that the Roosters have risen to the occasion week after week with uh, the injury toll seemingly mounting. It is ridiculous. I mean, last week they lost Brett Morris, which was absolutely gut-wrenching for me, one of my favourite players. 
alongside the uh, outstanding front row prospect that's Lindsay Collins. Um, you, know, you talk about Luke Keary, just, you know, three core players right there. And beyond that, they've had a ton more injuries. And even this week, uh, Satili Tupania is unavailable for selection with a suspension. Uh, Sam Verrills, obviously, with that uh, aforementioned uh, detached retina, nasty injury. Um, so they've been absolutely in the wars. Jake Friend retired mid-season. Boyd Cordner still not available due to concussions. And yet they're just persevering. They've dropped two games all year against the South Sydney Rabbitohs and the Melbourne Storm. Like, they, they're one win behind Parramatta. And they're, you know, doing very, very well. In saying that, though, this presents an interesting opportunity for the Parramatta to create a, a potential mini-break in the top four. Uh, they're, yeah. one, they're one win ahead of the Sydney Roosters. A win here means that they go two wins ahead uh, and... With them also playing the city, the South Sydney Rabbitohs in the coming month, they're, they're, this is an important stretch to the Parramatta Eels. So they want to get business done on Friday and look forward to potentially consolidating a break here and staying abreast of the Penrith Panthers. Yeah, and look, we know what lies ahead deeper into the season in terms of the Eels' draw. It doesn't mean that um, you look at a one part of the draw and go, oh, look, that's an easy section. Yeah, we'll cruise through that. Every game has to be taken on its merits. Yep. There are so many merits in that in this oh. Roosters team that, that uh, the Eels will be making a statement about their own form if we can overcome the Roosters. I believe that we will overcome the Roosters. As I said, I believe that the strength of the Eels bench will probably provide them with an edge. I'm sure that BA will come up with his ways of testing out the rooster's spine because although you're talking about um, Teddy out at the back and you're talking about a real prodigy there in Walker, I think there's opportunities to be found by working over the spine. Yeah, 100%. And I'm sure that BA will come up. He, he's infamous for, for being able to work on particular players in opposition teams. I'm sure he'll come up with something that's there. Um, I think it's a it's the sort of game, as you said, where it's surprising how much there is at stake with it. That the capacity to get a four-point break on the Roosters should not be lost. Uh, I mean, when I say should not be lost, I mean, the players have to be focusing on what their job is. But in the scheme of things... That could be quite critical as we head into the back part of the season mm-hmm. because even last year we we scraped into that top four. You need to be in that top four to make a genuine impact in the finals. Correct. And um, all the points that you pick up at this time of the year, they they go such a long way in taking the pressure off a team in that back end of the season. And heavens knows there's going to be enough pressure from journos and supporters on Parramatta <laughs> yep. in the back end of the season yep. anyway. All righty. How do you see this one playing out, mate? I know I tipped a 22-12 to 12 victory on the Para podcast last night, and I think I went with uh, Ryan Madison as first try scorer as a you know revenge from a uh, former club uh, club member for the Roosters. But you, want, you obviously you want to see the Eels get a very comprehensive win, but even for their injuries, you know the Roosters are going to be formidable. Yeah, I'm actually... I actually believe that this might be a game too far for the Roosters. I'm I'm quite confident. I'm quite buoyant about this week. I've got so much respect for the Roosters in how they've overcome week after week. People were quite prepared to write them off all those weeks ago 
when the first of or one of the first significant injuries in Luke Geary came about. They mm-hmm. said they couldn't do it without Luke Geary. Well, here you go. Here's Sam Walker. Yeah, going to be let's rookie just, of the year. Let's just see, the length let's of the just see him. Yeah, let's just see him set a few <laughs> try assist records along the way. Um, but I just, I just have the feeling that this period of being battered and bruised, it might just prove a little bit too much. Trent Robinson is renowned for playing the long game. That's true. And he's willing to have a slower segment ahead of the finals in order to peak for the right time of the year. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. The Roosters would still be capable of winning this game. They could, they could have a big lift, but I think it needs a big lift from them to overcome the Eels. Now, do you want to really prime your team right now against a, an opponent that is renowned for really doing a number physically on the team, on, on their opposition like Parramatta is? Do you want to make it that sort of contest? Um, I, I just don't know. I just get the feeling that this is a game too far for the Roosters in, in the way that their injury toll has been, the the physical toll that's that's happened on them as a result. So I think the Eels get this comfortably. Yeah. How's that translate? Oh. They've gone a game too far. Parramatta notorious for their physical gameplay. What what's that mean for the scoreboard? I'm tipping that it's going to be somewhere in the vicinity of about thirty six points to ten. How's that sound? That sound a familiar score? That is a very familiar score. And maybe Mitchell Moses won't let us down this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love you, Mitch. Just the goal kicking costless, mate. Come on. Now, Mitch, obviously, a key. The actual duel between him and Sam Walker is going to be fascinating. Uh, Mitch, like we said, having a career year. Walker, the uh, barring injury, the runaway rookie of the year can, like, leader. So looking forward to this. Uh, I know people have been talking up Walker when he meets a good team and he's going to handle the pressure. I think he's going to be very good still. He is just a sensational talent. And I really look forward to seeing how the Eels game plan against both him and Taddy. Yeah. And even though I'm buoyant about that sort of result, again, if the Roosters turn up and turn it on, that's still not going to be a complete surprise because yeah. they they've got the systems that have served them so well for so long They've got the coach. They've got class players in abundance still within the team. Um, so them lifting isn't going to be a surprise, but I'm still expecting that it's a game too far for them right now in this in this battering that they're copying in recent weeks. Yep, and as always, you can catch that coverage on Channel 9 at 7.55 p.m. kickoff. Um, and if you, if you can, get out to this game and try and pack that... Uh, the Cathedral at Bankwest because it'd be a very good game to cheer the team home for. Yep. And uh, looking forward to being part of that big crowd, mate. Yes, very much. Uh, nice to return to Bankwest after nearly a month away from it, right? It's, it's yeah, been yeah, a it's long a- time between drinks because we took a home game out to Darwin and had a couple of away games between Canberra and uh, Stadium Australia. So, yeah, very nice to return to our proper home and hopefully improve our record uh, to 8-1. and one. Yeah, there's... It- it just doesn't feel right to be an extended period away no, from it really, it really uh, Bankwest doesn't. Stadium. So, um, yeah, and, and look, I've become a bit of a stadium snob. I, yep. I look at the other grounds that we travel to and I go, nah, this isn't Bankwest Stadium. <laughs> that's nah, that's, that's nah. the uh, the sort of the residual effect of playing out of this. You do become a snob. It's like, what, 
Why, why isn't there a stadium like Bank West? You know, just just get yourself a, a state of the art world class stadium, and you know, come on, easy. Yeah. And mate, look, I'm entitled to be that. I I I was a frequent flyer at Cumberland Oval. True, right? true. Uh, yeah. I, I used to go to other grounds and used to think, why can't why can't we have that? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> on that elitist bombshell, let's uh, wrap it all up. As always, thanks for stopping by and listening, guys and girls. Uh, and we'll be uh, hopefully live on, well, it might maybe live or well, Friday night, but it's going to be pretty late by the time we get home. Uh, so maybe look forward to a Saturday recording uh, post-match re- uh, reactions. Cheers, everyone. Catch you later.